Section 14 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marissa Sheldon. Antonia by Georges Sand. Translated by Georges Burnham Eves. Section 14. There was someone there in truth, and it was too late to keep silent. Uncle Antoine had overheard all, how he came to be there, prowling about and spying in Madame d'Estrelle's garden, we shall soon learn. Marcel felt Julien's gesture, discovered the slit in the curtain, and, looking out in his turn, saw the ogre listening. He left the window and warned Madame d'Estrelle. They talked together for a moment in pantomime. They had not been able to decide what course they should pursue when Antoine, hearing nothing more, knocked at the garden door. It was a good deal like the arrival of the statue at Pierre's festival. Julien was about to open the door when Madame d'Estrelle, with a rapid forecast of the absurd scene to which her presence would give rise, and of the deplorable outbreak which might follow if she were not present, instantly made up her mind as to her own course— detained Julien authoritatively by placing her hand on the young artist's quivering arm, and, motioning to him and to the others not to stir, she went into the vestibule, opened the door herself, and found herself face to face with Monsieur Antoine. Although he had prepared his part, he was a little surprised himself, whereas he expected to surprise everybody. "'You, neighbor?' said Julie, feigning astonishment. "'What are you doing here? Did you come back to my house? Who told you I was here? And what induced you to pass through my garden?' And, without waiting for his reply, she passed her arm through the horticulturist and led him some distance from the pavilion to the shore of the little pond in the center of the lawn in front of the mansion. "'Why, I was going to the pavilion,' stammered Monsieur Antoine. "'So I assume, as I found you at the door.' "'I was going there, with kindly intentions, but—' "'Who doubts it? Not I, certainly, my friend. "'Ah, at last you call me what I want you to call me. "'Very good. Then you are willing to talk with me alone. "'I see. The same with me. "'I want to talk to you about an idea of mine. "'Let us sit down on this bench, neighbor, and I will listen to you. "'But first you must listen to me, for I have a confession to make to you.' "'Pshaw, pshaw! I know what your confession is. "'You plucked my lily, didn't you?' "'Ah, mon Dieu! How did you know it?' "'I overheard a few words, and I guessed the rest. "'Why need you have broken the poor flower? "'Couldn't you have asked me for it? "'Couldn't you wait till tomorrow? "'I intended to give it to you.' "'But suppose I did not do it on purpose. "'You didn't do it on purpose?' Julie felt that she was blushing, for Antoine scrutinized her closely, and there was a half-bitter, half-tender irony in his black eyes. "'Really,' she replied, trying to save herself by a Jesuitical expedient, "'the accident happened against my desire.' "'Good,' rejoined Antoine, still staring at her. "'Put it that way. I like that better.' "'You like that better than what?' Mardi, yes, I like it better. Come, abandon the worthless cause you are trying to plead. Condemn Master Julien's madness and disloyalty without reserve. Let me punish him as I think best. 
But what makes you think that Master Julien... Oh, don't try to lie any more, cried Monsieur Antoine, springing to his feet as if impelled by the quivering of his whole irritable and passionate little being. It isn't becoming in you to lie, you know, and then it's no use, for I tell you, I heard everything, and as I'm no fool, I concluded Julien has taken a fancy to you, and the rascal would tell you so if he dared. What do you say, Monsieur Thierry? I say, I say things as they are. Mademoiselle de Mule was as proud as you can possibly be. My brother, André, told her fairy stories, and he ended by making her listen to him. All men and all women are made of the same stuff, I tell you. There's only one question of any importance now. Does Julien take your fancy? Yes or no? Monsieur Thierry, if I did not know you had a kind heart, your wretched manners would disgust me. Be kind enough to adopt a different tone, or I shall leave you. Ah, you propose to be angry, do you? Your pride has taken hold of you again, and you are going to turn your back on me. Why? All this is no concern of yours. Julien did the crazy thing. It is for him to pay for it. No, Monsieur Thierry, that is my place. My bungling caused the accident. If I had not admired and praised the flower too enthusiastically, he felt obliged to offer it to me. Courtesy. Poor reasons, poor reasons, my fair lady. The rascal knew perfectly well that I would have thrown the flower, the plant, the garden I and the gardener to boot at your feet. If he did not know it, he should have guessed it. And, in any event, he had no right to play the gallant with my property. It's kidnapping. It's an abuse of confidence and a theft. He will live to rue it, and his dear mamma will find out what it costs to have an ill-bred son play the courtier to great ladies at just the wrong time. Come, come, my good neighbor, cried Madame d'Estrel, deeply distressed and annoyed. Surely you do not propose to withdraw your favor from them. You are not going to give me the lie, for I placed you on a pedestal. You are not going to break off the friendship with you and I contracted today, just for a flower, more or less in your collection. Your fortune makes a loss so easily repaired of little consequence. You talk very jauntily about it. There are some things which millions can't replace, and which a man of taste considers beyond all price. Ah. Oh. Mon Dieu, mon Dieu, who could have guessed that? Julien knew it. Impossible. I tell you, he knew it. Then he is mad, but that is not his mother's fault. She was not there. It is his mother's fault. She encourages him to love you. She scrapes acquaintance with you in order to induce you to do what she did for her husband. No, as to that, I give you my word of honor, you are wrong, Monsieur Thierry. She is in despair. At what? Ha! You see, she has spoken to you about it, and you knew of the young man's presumption. Madame d'Estrel struggled to no purpose. All the prudence of her sex, all the pride of her rank, all her natural shrewdness, and all her familiarity with society went for naught against the rich man's narrow and uncompromising logic. She was as if caught in a vice and felt shamefaced, awkward helpless, at the end of a no-thoroughfare. What should she do? Turn out this bore who forced her to submit to a distasteful examination 
and thereby abandon the cause of the poor Thierrys and turn them over to his vengeance, or restrain herself, defend herself as best she could, and submit to the humiliation of the most untimely of reprimands. It seems, she said with sorrowful resignation, that I made a very great mistake in going into that pavilion. I was very far from having any such idea. I had never seen Master Julien Thierry, and I started out with my mind full of your fine promises, to carry joy to his poor mother. I am well punished now for being so enthusiastic about you, Monsieur Thierry, since you consider that you are entitled to lecture me as if I were a little girl, and to call me to account for the most innocent, if not the most honorable, step that one woman can take toward another. For that reason you are not the one whom I blame, replied Monsieur Antoine, softened in one direction and proportionally more irritated in the other. The true culprits are the ones I blame without appeal. Do you know what would have happened if I had entered just at the moment when Master Julien was breaking my lily? Why, I would have broken Master Julien. Yes, as sure as I am talking to you, the head of this cane would have broken his painter's head. Madame d'Estra was alarmed by Monsieur Antoine's excited, vindictive manner. She was really afraid of him, and involuntarily looked about her, as if in search of protection, in case his wrath should turn against herself. She fancied that she could hear a rustling in the dense foliage behind the bench, and although it might have been only a bird hopping among the branches, she felt vaguely reassured. "'No, my good neighbor,' she rejoined with courageous mildness, "'you cannot make me believe that you are a bad man, and you will do nothing unkind to anyone.' You may venture wrath on me alone, within the limits of your rights in that direction. You may scold me, and I will accept the rebuke. I will promise you what I have already promised myself, never to set foot in that pavilion again. What more can I do? Come, tell me. At that moment the foliage stirred again, and Julien's tame sparrow came and perched on Madame d'Estrelle's shoulder, as if sent by him to ask her forgiveness. She was more deeply moved by that little incident than she chose to admit, and she took the little creature, which was already on familiar terms with her, in her hand with a sort of affection. Hum, said Monsieur Antoine, whose piercing eyes seemed to possess the power of divination. That's a strange kind of companion. Is it yours? Yes, replied Julie, fearful of some revengeful act against Julien. A sparrow! Vile beasts! They do nothing but harm. If it wasn't yours, did Julien give it to you? Nonsense! You think of nothing but Julien, said Madame d'Estrelle, losing patience. Really, I don't know what direction our explanation is taking. I am very, very sorry for what has happened. I regret extremely that I was the cause of it. But can you not tell me how I can repair it, instead of hurling all these offensive insinuations at my head? Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Have I not promised to go to your house tomorrow to attend a family festival? The christening of my poor Antonia. That is out of the question now. The child is dead, or at all events, disfigured. I ought to invite my friends to a funeral. And then, you see, this idea of inviting Madame André and making the best of a bad business with her son, that isn't to my liking. 
That is to say, it is no longer to my liking, unless... Speak, said Madame d'Estrel eagerly, for she began to think that the rich man, repenting of his munificence, might contemplate a reduction in the price he had offered for the pavilion. I agree to anything that will indemnify and pacify you. Master Antoine's vanity was immeasurable. Madame d'Ancourt, whom he had seen an hour earlier, had, in her spite against Julie, puffed him up by confirming his presumptuous hopes. He had returned with the intention of offering himself. Not finding Julie in her salon, he had mustered courage to surprise her in the garden. The incident of the broken lily seemed to hasten forward the opportunity. His brain whirled with insane conceit, and he made his declaration. Madame, he said, you force me to it with your pretty words and your gentle manners. I'm going to stake all to win all, and if you are angry at what I say, the fault is your own. Let us see. You are not rich, and I know that you weren't born on the steps of a throne. I believe that you are not proud, either, since you go to your poor painter's studio and accept his attentions, at my expense. A good joke, eh? But no matter. Let us laugh over it, but let us come to something reasonable at last. It makes no difference if Julien has ancestors on his mother's side. He's my nephew. He's a plebeian. Do you despise him for that? No, indeed. Then his crime is being poor, eh? But suppose he was rich, very rich. Then what would you say to him? Do you propose to give him a dowry so that I can marry him? cried Madame d'Estrel in utter amazement. Who said anything about that? Excuse me, I thought... You thought that I was suggesting an idiotic performance to you. What is an artist? It would be of no use for me to give him a dowry. Money I had earned wouldn't raise him in your eyes, I fancy. Consideration belongs of right to those who carved out their own lot in life and have earned success by their shrewdness in business. Come, you understand what I mean. I offer you an excellent match, a good-sized fortune, and a name that makes some noise in the world. The man is one who will gratify all your wishes as long as he lives, and leave you all his property after his death, who has no former mistresses, nor unlawful children, nor debts, nor worries, nor ties of any sort. Lastly, he is a man who might be your grandfather, and whom no one will ever accuse you of choosing from caprice or coquetry, but who will do credit to your good sense and your honorable feelings, for you have debts, more debts than property. I know the amount of them. It is pretty big, and if Marcel were a good calculator, he wouldn't tell you to go to sleep. Reflect on what I say. Great annoyances are in store for you if you say no, while everybody will congratulate you on making a sensible match. You seem tremendously surprised, and yet your friend the Baroness told you. But perhaps she didn't tell you the amount? Five millions, isn't it? replied Julie, who had become pale and reserved. So it was you who she referred to, and you are talking about yourself. Very well, then. What then? It scandalizes you. It insults you, does it? No, Monsieur Thierry, Julie replied with a mighty effort. On the contrary, I am highly honored by your offers, but... But what? My age? Do you suppose I propose to play the lover? 
No, thank God, I never had that weakness, and I don't propose to make myself ridiculous at my age. I simply propose to be your father by contract, and to employ marriage as a means of making you my heiress. Well, that's enough of talk. You must say yes or no, for I am not of a disposition to remain in doubt, and I don't choose to be humiliated. Do you understand? End of section 14